welcome to Valley Christian Church. We hope you enjoy this message, and we hope you join us on Sunday mornings at 1030. We are located at 432 East Pleasant in Tulare. After the message, take a moment and visit our website at vcctulare.com. It is our prayer that ultimately you learn to love the Lord with all of your heart, soul, mind, and strength. We're going to be in the book of uh, John this morning. So as we start to, uh, this morning, we're going to start kind of back at the, at the first, just to review a little bit, because last week we, we learned that John really called himself uh, the disciple that Jesus loved. And, and a lot of us kind of go off of, well, gosh, John, that, that's pretty prideful of you to, you know, just to assert that, just to put it right out there, you know, and, and we kind of joke around about that. But uh, the more I think about it, maybe it wasn't pride. Maybe John was just saying, man, my life was a mess. I was a complete mess. And Jesus cared so much for me that today I am who I am because of my friend Jesus. And he loved me so much. So maybe I I kind of, the more I study about John, the more I kind of gather, maybe that's the direction. It wasn't about pride. This is what happens when Jesus loves somebody so much. They literally become his best friend in a sense. And they're like, no, I'm his best friend, not you. I'm I'm a better friend with Jesus than you. You know, you kind of get that. But it's not out of pride. It's just out of that desire of wanting to be around Jesus and to know him and to know more about him. So so maybe this statement is not based in pride, but based in, you know, I'm told changed because of his love so verse one it says john writes you know about his friend jesus and it goes like this in the beginning was the word and the word was with god and the word was god he was in the beginning with god all things were made through him and without him nothing was made that was made in him was life and the life was the light of men and the light shines in the darkness and the darkness did not comprehend it so last week we, we kind of started out and looking at all the different names that Jesus called, I mean, that, that John calls Jesus. And in five verses, he came up with five names. So if you're like a list person, you know, we're going to have a long list by the end of this book of all the different names that John calls uh, Jesus. In the beginning was the Word. So we see that, you know, he calls Jesus the Word or, or Logos. And what John did was he took a Greek word that meant so many different things, you know, philosophically. But what it really meant is the thing that binds everything together. As we kind of talked about the, you know, philosophical things that they would have been talking about during the first century last week. But it's that thing that just kind of binds everything, even to the binding of the universe uh, together. But it's just more than that because he is God. And that's what John was saying there. And then the second title for Jesus was that he is the word, you know, the he was the word, he was the logos, and he is God. And that's the second title for Christ. And that's kind of very hard to, today to understand because people will misunderstand what you mean by that. You talk about the Lord and half the people won't understand you at all. But then you start talking about God, and 95% of the people will, will misunderstand what you're trying to say because there's so many different concepts out there and, and different philosophies out there when it, when it comes to that. But what you have to say is this. I am a fully devoted follower of Jesus Christ. That's what you say. Because when you say, I follow God, well, that could mean so many different things to so many different people. But when you say, I'm a fully devoted follower of Jesus Christ... 
People know what you're saying. And because even if you use the word Christian, that can be a bit confusing nowadays. Because Christian can mean so many different things. And especially when, you know, you, even in Germany, you have the Christian Democratic Party. It's actually a political party. So the word Christian nowadays has so many different connotations and meanings. So you have to say, I'm a follower of Jesus Christ who saved me by dying on the cross. That's what, that's what it means to be a part of what they, they said in, you know, Acts, part of the way. They didn't start the, the word Christian until probably, you know, late in, in times, uh, you know, John talks about little Christ a little bit, and that's what Christian means. But really, that didn't catch on until they say about the 300s, when, when Christianity became the religion of Rome. And we'll, we'll get to that in a second, because I love history, and I think history really relates to the Bible and really relates to, to where we are, especially when we start talking about persons that we're going to talk about today. But we have to state who we're following because we do not follow a Hindu God. Our Eastern philosophy, you know, that they just say that there's some God out there. Our disciple of, of a great teacher, somebody like Gandhi or Muhammad, we don't follow that. I serve Jesus Christ, the one and true only God of this world. He was at the beginning before time. And that's what John was saying. And then in verse 3, we get another title. By Him all things were made. So He is the Creator. You know, He was, he was not born in the same way as we, you know, you know, He existed before He had the human birth in Bethlehem. Jesus comes and says, I am the Alpha, I am the Omega, I am the beginning, I am the end. So we see He's the Word, we see He's God, we see the Creator, and then in verse 4, we see that He is the Life. In, in Him was life. Jesus will go further and say, I am the life. This is more than just uh, Jesus possessing life or handing out life, which is, which is good enough. But it goes even beyond that. He says, I am the life. So He is life Himself. And, and to sit with that one, you know, for a while. I mean, you know, I, I want to go quicker in John. I want to get, you know, get into the book and so forth. But we're like, well, you know, at least for me, I'm sitting there going, John, you need to slow down a bit here. You've thrown a lot at us. I mean, today, I mean, usually we cover more than one verse. But I think today we're just going to cover one verse. Because it's so important for us to understand what this one verse is going to say here in a second. But then he gives us a fifth title. He is the light of men. And that is where we're going to focus today. And the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness did not comprehend it. Let's look at the word comprehend. The light shines in the darkness. It's interesting that it's a present tense there. Not the light shine, you know, used to shine in the darkness, will shine in the darkness. The light shines in the darkness until they killed it on the cross, right? No, 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 no. The light shines in the darkness. No light uh, or, or now the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness did not comprehend it. Jesus still shines today. How does He do that? Through us. Through His Word. And the darkness cannot comprehend it. The, the, there's a word in Greek here. It's katalabano. So we have to figure out what this word is. Because, you know, we have to look into the Greek philosophy, the Greek law. We have to find out all the different ways that it was used at the time and, and determine, okay, what, what part of this word is John trying to use here? And we throw out all the different things that it couldn't possibly be. Because in Greek, there's a lot of times there's eight to ten words for every one of our English words. So, you know, it, you, we have to study this to get the meaning out of it. And, and you don't just get the meaning out of just going, okay, well, it's the English word here. 
Now, depending on what translation you have, and, and there's many good translations. There's the RSV, there's the NIV, there's the King James and the New King James. There's all good, you know, sorts of NIV, I mean, uh, all sorts of good translations. So the translator may pick one word here or one word there, and, and another translator may pick a different one. We have to be careful. Because a lot of times what we'll do is we'll take our English Bible and we'll pick on one word and say, well, it says right here. And the problem is, until you investigate that word fully, you go back and maybe do a word study in the Greek or, or you go to your pastor or your Bible study teacher or, or you go find it on your own, find out what all the possibilities were of that word. Because so oftentimes humans you know, are, are, will do the trivial thing on one little word when we've missed it completely. We've missed the meaning completely because we, because we put our English connotation on Greek words that have been translated for us. So there's different translations that are really good. So, uh, so the uh, New King James says, the darkness did not comprehend it. So the, the darkness could not understand it. Now some of you who allow Christ to be active in your life are sitting there, and there's those around you, maybe sitting right beside you, maybe when you go out to, with family to eat, or you're out with friends and so forth, and they just don't understand you at all. I had a conversation the other day with, with, with somebody, and they were saying, you know, I used to feel like I was the only one out here because none of my friends understood who, you know, how I was, why I did certain things, what my moral character was, because the darkness will not understand us. Do you relate to this at all? I don't know if anybody relates to this. You're out in the workforce and they're sitting there going, I don't understand you. Why, you know, and so they gave you an extra $100 in your paycheck. Why quibble? Just take it and run, you know. And they're like, no, but, but, but I have extra money here. I need to, who do I talk to? It's little stuff like that that people don't understand. Or do you go out in the world and you say, oh, the world understands me. You Christians are just awesome. No. They cannot understand you or comprehend you. And you should, at the appropriate times, try to explain the Lord to them. You should. I mean, you, we, we just can't, you know, I, I always rag on Southern Baptists because I grew up Southern Baptist. And I shouldn't rag on it because, I mean, I did learn a lot. I mean, the, the basis of the foundation of what I believe came from, from good Bible teaching. Um, I like verse by verse, but I grew up topical. And it wasn't until later in age that I finally realized I really don't know the Word. And that put me on the journey that leads me here today. Who knows where the Lord's going to take me? You know, I want to be here 40 years. I mean, it'd be awesome to to marry off little little kids around here and so forth. You know, be able to participate in that stuff. And but you know, there's a right time to tell people about Christ. Southern Baptists, a lot of times back when I was growing up in the 70s and 80s, uh, you know, well, really late 70s, because that's when I started to understand. I'm not that old. But, uh, you know, they were like on the street corner, beat somebody over the head with a Bible kind of thing. I mean, hellfire and brimstone. But I'm starting to understand it's, it's really not like that. It's in those normal discussions that you have around the dinner table or out to eat or you're working beside somebody. When they go, why do you do this? And there's your chance. Because if we force it, it doesn't always work. But if you wait for that opportunity and pray, Lord, give me this opportunity with this person, and then take that opportunity. Because then you can shine the light into the darkness. You know, the world will sit there and say, there's so many things to do out there. Why do you go to church? Why do you waste your time? I mean, don't you have chores to do? My backyard is, is full of weeds. I think I'll take next week off. Somebody want to volunteer? I mean, I just, that's how the world thinks. I just, I need to do my chores. They just don't understand why you waste your time or why you waste your money. 
They don't understand our need to worship, a need to, to understand more about our Creator that we worship. And some of you won't get promotions. Some of you won't continue to have friends, uh, you know, certain friends. Even family members might reject you. And it's usually because they don't understand the light. And hopefully when this happens, when you get bumped, and I tell you, you know, the Lord's really transformed my personality because when somebody used to bump me, oh man, I was, I'm, I'm like, you bump me, I'm right back in your face. I'm just, boom, right there, you know. And, and the Lord's kind of softened that in me. And hopefully the more I get bumped, the more you get bumped, what comes sloshing out? Well, hopefully if you're filled with Jesus Christ and the Holy Spirit, the Spirit comes out of you. And if it doesn't come out of you, then you've got to go back and say, okay, Lord, I need a little more, you know, I need to hang out with you a little bit more because I got sloshed and what came out wasn't pretty. We have to, you know, we, we have to, to, to want Christ to come out of us. So the baseline is this. The world just won't understand. But there's a, another word meaning here also. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness cannot possess it or overpower it. So, even though the darkness cannot, uh, you know, understand it, it cannot overpower it either. Well, that, you know, that's pretty funny, Pastor Allen, because right now I feel pretty overpowered. I mean, life has just got me, and I mean, it's just swinging me around and knocking me upside the head and me hitting every pole. I, I, I tell you, darkness feels like it's overpowering me right now or overpowering me at my job or in my family. You know, I feel like I'm the only one in my job. I'm the only one in my marriage. I'm the only one. I feel like the darkness is overpowering me. And there, but there's a little flame in you. If you're a Christian, there's a little flame in you that needs to be fanned, that needs to have a, you know, some kindling put to it so that fire can start raging a little bit better. Uh, because the, you know, the person who's trying to overwhelm you, they don't understand you. And they're, what they're trying to do is control the, the Jesus that lives in you, control the light that lives in you. If I can overpower them, if I can push them down, then that light won't shine as much. They won't talk about their creator. They won't talk about their beliefs. If I can just overpower them a little bit more, don't ever let somebody take control of the Jesus Christ that lives in you. So ask the Lord for help to show a little bit more of Jesus and live right there with that light inside of you, you know, shining brightly. So the darkness cannot overpower it, can't understand it, or can't comprehend it. And the last one is extinguish it. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness cannot extinguish it. And last week we talked a little bit about the nature of, of light that is impossible to extinguish it when it's lit by the Holy Spirit. And it can't be done and the darkness can't figure out why. They're like scratching their head about why this light is still on. But there are also times when it seems like the darkness has extinguished it. Even throughout history there have been times. I mean, who's writing this book? The Apostle John. He lived for 60 years past the crucifixion of Christ. And he'll live almost to the turn of the first century there. But as a young man, he stood at the foot of the cross. He was the only disciple that really hung in there and went through that whole process with Christ as, as he was taken, as he was arrested, as, as he was brought before the trials and so forth, all the way to the cross. He was one of the only ones. What John saw was the body go limp and physically it would die. And the, the despair that I could imagine that was in John, seeing his friend, seeing the guy that, that he started to understand was God die. 
But I want you to understand something. Yes, his body did, not, did die. But the physical body did die. But his spirit did not die. He overcame death. So after witnessing this, you know, Jesus was, the, the, was with them for, you know, physically for about 40 days or so. And by Acts chapter 4, John stood before uh, the Sanhedrin with Peter. And who is the Sanhedrin? The Sanhedrin is the same guys who were responsible for crucifying Christ on the cross. They were the same guys. And they were sitting there telling James and, and, and I mean, not James, but, but John and, and Peter, you can't talk about Christianity in this world. You can't talk about Christianity in this classroom. It's against the law. You can't talk about Christianity at work. It's against the law. You can't talk about Christianity in your family. It's against the law. Now, we're relating it today in the classroom and all this, but that's exactly what they were telling them back then. Peter was one of the guys that was around. He was in front of probably the same guys that he denied Christ to. Peter, don't you know who this man is? Oh, no, no, I, I don't recognize him. Did that three times. And now he's probably before some of the same guys. They've been drugged before them. And through the Holy Spirit, they said, We can't do what you're asking us to do. Because the light shining in us cannot be put out. So what did the Sanhedrin do? They didn't know what to do. They literally did not know what to do. So they just dismissed them. And they went back to their prayer meeting and celebrated being persecuted. To me, that just kind of blows my mind. And in Acts chapter 7, the world stood by when the first follower of Christ was stoned to death. We don't know if Peter and John were, were actually there. But there was a guy there named Saul. And part of his salvation was the execution of this Christ follower. Now, that's a weird concept to me. Here, a guy that loves Christ, a guy that professes his following, saying, I am not going to deny this God, this Creator, this man that loved me, that died for me. I'm not going to deny that, and I don't care if you kill me. So what do they do? They kill you, and then a guy watching, a guy helping out... That's part of this salvation process? That's amazing to me. You know, you would think nothing can good, you know, nothing good can come out of this. They're extinguishing a light here. But the Lord had other plans. And two chapters after this, Christ appears to Saul and says, Why do you insist on persecuting me? Now, my first initial question would be like, who is that? I mean, there's this bright light. I mean, I'd be freaking out trying to run the other direction and hitting everything because I'd be blinded. But Paul asks a very important question. He says, who are you? And the salvation process began with the persecution and execution of a man. We've got to hang in there when we feel persecuted. And someone who's watching us handle whatever persecution we're going through could finally go, you know what? This Jesus must be real because I'm seeing what they're going through and I'm seeing how they're handling and that is not how the world handles it. And I don't understand that. So, so tell me, let me in on this. Why are you able to, to, to withstand this? And your light that can't be extinguished will be a part of their salvation. That is an amazing thing. So John also witnesses more than these things at the beginning. But when the Romans finally you know, took over from the Jews and persecuting the church, they became incredibly efficient at it. John saw all his friends martyred. Every one of them. Every one of the disciples were martyred. 
He's the last original disciple alive at this point. And he's exiled on the, on the island of Patmos. He had lived to see the darkness trying to extinguish the light. And in A.D. 65, he would have either witnessed or heard about the execution of Peter and Paul uh, you know, on the same day in Rome. The Romans took two of the key leaders of the church, which were, were Peter, James, and Paul. And they, they figured, well, if I can just get, you know, if we can just take those leaders out, then this thing will just die. Because James had already been killed. They pushed him off the corner of the temple on a Jewish holiday. So they took care of Peter and Paul. And what it did was backfire on the Roman government. And we're going to talk about some persecution, even in today's day and age, and how it backfires. So when John says that the darkness will not and cannot extinguish the light, he knows what he's talking about. So it's important for us to understand this. Now in every century since the darkness has tried to extinguish the light in Jesus Christ... It has happened over and over, and they just use different methods. The Jews were the first, and then the Romans. And then in 325, it became their, you know, the approved religion in Rome. And it was actually worse for Christianity. Because Christianity was spreading up until then, and it kept spreading, but all of a sudden it started becoming diluted. Because what they did was they would take the Roman holidays and transform them into Christian holidays. So you have this mix of, you know, people going, okay, well, I'll worship your, because it's, it's Rome and we gotta follow what the Roman government says. I'll worship your God, but I'm gonna also worship my God, and I'm gonna bring those little things into the Christianity religion. And that's what starts to happen. It started being watered down. So the name Christian, you know, became something that didn't really mean much. And then the Muslims came through. And then there was a period of time when the church tried to extinguish itself, which I can't imagine the church trying to do this today. I mean, it's just amazing. But they were actually killing people reading the Bible. I'm just dumbfounded at this. Their own pope said it was the ultimate sin to read the Bible without a priest there. The Word of God, Christ Himself represented in words, the Logos, and you can't read it? They burned them at the stakes in the 1500s. You wouldn't dare carry a Bible back then unless you wanted to be burned at the stake. So they started having little home churches, little house churches. So it's a sad day when the enemy uses the church against itself. Could you imagine, you know, the devil using the church against itself today? Well, you know, we would be like, oh, no, it happens. And it's so sad. We'd be like, oh, the darkness never invades the church. Oh, no, it would never try to hurt the church. We have to be aware of what's happening. We have to protect each other. Because darkness still exists. And then you have the communists that came into the world. But this isn't the greatest threat of the world. It's actually Muslims. And there are many peaceful Muslims. So, I mean, I'm not anti-Muslims. Don't don't go there. And if you want to go there, I say don't go there. I I don't believe what they believe. I believe that, that their beliefs are incorrect and wrong. Uh, they don't they don't worship a, a, a God that is merciful and graceful, uh, that's gracious to us. They don't. But there are many peaceful Muslims. So don't, I'm talking about the extreme end of that. But Thomas Jefferson, at the beginning of our, you know, our country's history, understood this. Do you realize what the first overseas battle was for the United States? 
It was against the Muslims, all the way to Tripoli. You know, the, I think it's a marine song where it says, To the shores of Tripoli. That's exactly what they're talking about. So we need to pray. We need to pray for Christians around the world that they can withstand the persecution. And they will be able to say, I am a follower of Christ. And if you're interested in reading more about the martyrdom of, of modern day um, you know, followers of Christ and even those that were before that, there's a great book by DC Talk called The Voice of the Martyred. And martyrdom, martyrdom you know, is a part of our Christian heritage, and I hope that it never comes to America. I really do, but who knows? It may happen someday. That's why it's so important for us to know the logos, to know the life, to know the light, and to read His Word. It's so important. Because killing Christians always backfires. It just takes longer than what we would want. I mean, I, I would love to be able to go, okay, God, take care of this right now on, you know, by... 10 p.m. Tuesday night, I would like this taken care of. It doesn't happen like that. God does things in His own timing, and I don't always understand that timing. I don't always agree with it either, but I'm like, okay, Lord, if that's what you want to do, and He's like, yes, Alan. And I'm like, are, are you sure? And He's like, yes, Alan. He's like, Alan, you need to stop this. You know, I, I don't always agree with Him, but I know He's right. The People's Revolution that, that happened in China, pushed. they tried to push out Christianity. And communism was really godlessness. It's the opposite of Christianity. And darkness will try anything, including politics, to get Jesus out of everything. And we're starting to see that in our own United States. And and I'm not really going to focus on that. But communism under Chairman Mao tried to get rid of all the churches. They burned down the churches when they came into power. And all this did was fuel home Bible studies, which is kind of amazing. And this is what I mean about backfiring. So the church actually in China started to grow stronger. So keep praying for them. And there's other things that we could talk about here, but, but Chairman Mao began making Christians at that time postmen. See, in China, to be a postman, to be a you know mail, mail carrier and all that, was a menial job. It was a, ooh, you're a postman. I mean, it was just, think of whatever job you kind of like, ugh, and stop that. But, you know, don't, don't act like that toward whatever job they have, because at least people have jobs nowadays, you know, and, and those that aren't, don't have jobs right now, we're praying for you, those that are, that are out there looking and so forth. But it was, for, for China, being a postman is kind of like a job you just kind of sneer at. You wouldn't want that job. But what they ended up doing, which is hilarious to me, is they ended up funding the largest door-to-door witnessing campaign in the world. Yeah, I mean, to me that's hilarious. So here the darkness is trying to overcome the light, and yet what they do? They help the light along, you know? These guys weren't paid, they were prisoners. Yet they got to share Christ with everyone. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness cannot extinguish it. That was over 50 years ago. Now let's talk about India. My wife and I have been supporters of Gospel for Asia in the past, and we've supported other other ministries that are out there bringing Christ to, to around the world. So I know a little bit more about Gospel for Asia. You can find these stories in, in many other ministries out there and, and missions work. But in the late 90s, a political party came to power in India, and it was radical Hindus. And most Hindus, again, most Hindus are peaceful. In fact, Lisa, when, when she did her master's degree in Nebraska, her, her uh, professor that was in, in charge of their department, he was a Hindu priest. So, I mean, and he was a real peaceful guy. I mean, we had some great discussions. I, I think he's wrong. His beliefs are incorrect. There's a lot of nice people out there, and their beliefs are incorrect. Uh, so, well, we won't. I'll get off on that tangent. I shouldn't. But, but the radical Hindus here believe that all Christians and Muslims ought to be killed. 
Ironic, because all Muslims believe that everybody else but their religion ought to be killed. Everyone says that my religion is right, so you should die. And then you have Christianity that says, you know what? My religion is right. My relationship with Christ is so on fire. My relationship with the God who died for me is so important. And I don't want you to die without knowing Him. That's one of the major differences in, in the religions if you look at it from a philosophical point of view. But this extreme Hindu group that came to power in India, and, and their prime minister was one of them, they marched around to, to intimidate. So think of you know, the old films where the, march, uh, where the Nazis marched around. Same thing was happening in, in the early 90s in, in India. And there's a province called Orissa, which is a huge part of the country. And the persecution of Christians in Orissa was the norm. Even the non-Indian Christians were being persecuted, you know, missionaries and, and different things. In fact, they were being martyred at the time in the name of these Hindu gods. So what was happening in Orissa is the persecutions of Christians were, was at an extreme point, even to the point where Gospel for Asia as an organization finally, you know, had a meeting and they got everybody together and said, you know what, we've got to pull our guys out of this area. It, it's just too dangerous. And they said, you know what? We will pull you and your family out of this area and we'll pay for it so you don't have to worry about it. We'll relocate you and put you into an area where we're going and delivering the great news. The light of Christ will be easier for you. And this is what their reply was. And it was a letter to, to K.P. Yohannan. They said, Brother K.P. Yohannan, we will leave if that is what you require of us. However, we must argue with you that God has placed us here. And God will protect us. And if God takes us, i.e., if the Lord allows us to be killed, we will go willingly. We promise, we promise you that we will not shame the name of Jesus Christ or gospel for Asia. But do not shame us by withdrawing us from these villages. Wow. So they allowed them to stay. And many of them paid for it with their lives and with their homes. So right after this happened, a cyclone hit India. We're talking 30-foot waves, 185 miles per hour. You know, it's our hurricane. They call them different things. And, you know, it killed over 200,000 people. And we briefly heard about it on CNN, CNN and, and, and then they went back to Monica Lewinsky because that's what time frame we're talking about here. In 38 hours, 200,000 people were killed and 12 million people were left homeless. 38 hours. Then a fascinating thing happened. Not a single Gospel for Asia person that was working for them, missionary, whatever you want to call them, was lost in that storm. Not a single one of them. So they started sending runners on foot because there was no communication. They started sending runners you know, up the chain of command, if you want to call it that. Send us building materials. Anything you can get your hands on, we need it because we've got to start rebuilding. And you know what we're going to do? We're going to start with the person that persecuted us the most, and we're going to rebuild their home first. And it was amazing the turnaround in Orissa for that generation. It really was. Um, you know, so the leader of India concluded the following, that Jesus... The God of the Christians was mad at Orissa. Now, we, we don't believe this, okay? But that's what he decided. Because they were persecuting the Christians so much that Jesus, the God, must be mad at them because our gods, that's how they treat us. They get mad and they you know, come in and, and destroy. So the leader of India decided to send the army into this area of Orissa to protect the Christians. 
So they declare the year of 2000 for the Christian leaders to educate India about Christianity. Talking about trying to extinguish the light and it backfiring on you. So a whole new generation of, of kids, of children, of families was turned around and, and now knows about, about India and, and knows about Jesus in India. And then in 2008, they started persecuting again. And they started burning homes again. Her face is whited out because it's got paste on the burns. They started persecuting them again. Thousands of people without homes. And then Gospel for Asia went in and started putting up homes that couldn't be burned down. Now, they may be forced out, but at least it's not going to be burned down over and over again. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness cannot extinguish it. So you say, well, what about America? The darkness is trying to to extinguish the light in America also. One generation ago, it was okay to be a Christian more than it is today. One generation ago, people knew more about Christianity than today. One generation ago, the Ten Commandments was known mostly by our people. And now, you couldn't get kids to tell you four or five of them. Ironically, many in the church don't even know it because we don't teach the Word enough. So how is the darkness trying to extinguish the light right now? It's through a whole different method. In the first century, you said the word light. You didn't think of light bulb or or fluorescent lights. You you didn't have that. What you would think of is an oil lamp. And an oil lamp needs heat, fuel, and oxygen. In America, it's not an outright attack on us as Christians. But they think if we can just take away one of these things, heat, fuel, or oxygen, it'll die. So what is the fuel? The heat is the Word of God. If you notice today that the Word of God is not even popular in the churches, they don't even read it hardly anymore. Well, Pastor Allen, you know, you only taught one verse today. Yeah, it's a very important verse, and you usually go a little quicker. But you know what I mean. We teach the Word of God because we need the heat. And everything we do with the Word of God is central because we have to study it. It's the fuel of our fire. So what's the heat? The heat is our salvation, the joy of our salvation. And if we've walked with the Lord for any length of time, we have to pray along with David where he says, Restore unto me the joy of my salvation. Let's, Let's not be churchy. We don't believe Jesus just because our parents believe Jesus. And that's what Pastor Justin is trying to teach the kids. That's When I was a youth pastor, that's what I tried to teach the kids. Why do you believe this? Is it because your parents believe it? Because, okay, well, that's all fine and dandy, but what do you believe? Because my relationship with God has to be my own. I, you know, don't let me be a religious guy. I hate that, that whole kind of religiosity. And, and sometimes the things I do become across as religious, but I don't want to be a religious person. I want to have a relationship. Let me be a Christian guy. Because I've got to be on fire for Jesus. Because, you know, it it can't be self-generated. So many people try to work themselves up. And, you know, holy roller, let's roll down the aisle. You know, just get everybody worked up. But it has to come from the Lord. And it helps when we have fuel. Because when we have the fuel, He will light our fire. So what is the oxygen? You have heat, you have fuel, and you have oxygen. Oxygen is the atmosphere. And what is my atmosphere? It's the Holy Spirit. And in Him we live, we move, 
everything by the power of the Holy Spirit. Have you noticed that the American church lacks one thing a lot of times? And it's really the Holy Spirit being active in their churches. And again, I'm not talking about way out there. I'm talking about just in general the way the Holy Spirit ought to act. But instead, we rely on our own self. We rely on our own thoughts. We rely on our own actions instead of those inspired by Christ, instead of those inspired by the Holy Spirit. If you want to see where the American church is headed, just look over to Europe. They're about 40 to 50 years ahead of us. The churches have, have become, you know, things of, well, we do it this way because it's always been done this way. Become not a relationship, but a thing we do. It is our job as individuals in America to allow ourselves to be lit. Guys, we have to break through religion and into a relationship with Jesus. We've got to be, you know, we've got to stop being afraid of the Holy Spirit and let Him fill us. We have to seek the Word, seek the Lord, and say to Him, Lord, I want to be filled by Your Spirit. I want Your strength to make it through this week. I want the comfort of, of knowing that You are right here with me no matter what I'm going through. It may be a stupid situation with a coworker. It may be something you're sitting there going, rolling your eyes, going, I can't believe this has gotten this big. I mean, come on, with such a small thing. Or maybe a life and death struggle of, of health. Or maybe a life and death struggle of salvation. Don't keep playing church. Be the flame that, that He needs you to be. Because we live in a dark world. And I don't have to look around to find a light in this dark world. Why? Because that light lives in me, which is called the Holy Spirit. I am the light. I continue the light of Christ because He lives in me. And it's because I'm a follower of Christ. And that's why the light shines in the darkness. That's why the darkness cannot comprehend it, cannot overpower it, cannot understand it, and cannot extinguish it. Let's pray. Lord, I love you so much. I pray that in my own life, in my actions, that I not ever come you know, to a point where I just rely totally on myself. Because when I rely on myself, I hurt people. I pray, Lord, that, that my light shines, that those that are, that are sitting here today, that in their jobs, in their families, in their homes, even driving on the freeway, that their light shines. That when I get bumped and we get bumped, Lord, what comes out of us? Hopefully the Holy Spirit. Hopefully forgiveness and graciousness and humbleness and lovingness and kindness. All those things that are made up of you, your fruit. I pray that we see that not only in our personal lives, but in our congregation or in our church. We thank you what you've done for us over the past year. That you've really changed who we are as a body. You've really changed us to really reflect you more. And I pray that you continue to do that. Now the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord's face shine down upon you, and that way it reflects, reflects who He is in this dark world that wants to overcome you. When it seems like that water buffalo turns and heads right towards you, pray that you understand that the light shines so bright that it cannot overpower you, it cannot extinguish you, it cannot overtake you. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, amen.